Hello and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast with your hosts, Tim and... Tom. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I've had a good weekend. Uh, I don't want to don't want to ask you too many direct probing questions. I understand you might still be a bit raw. Um, but how was the 6-0 thrashing? <laughs> the 6-0 thrashing was... Uh... <laughs> I'm not sure if I've got the words to describe it, really. Yeah, I, I would say depressing. Depressing would be the most accurate word I can think of right now. I was uh, surprised because let's not forget West Ham have beaten Arsenal twice this season. The most recent uh, occasion coming over the Christmas holidays, only 45 days ago. Uh, I think a lot of Arsenal fans were going into the match a little bit worried, but also aware that a good performance should be enough. But nobody was was expecting 6-0. Uh, to all of our listeners, we've got a packed, um, full uh, agenda for the podcast tonight. We've got uh, three topics. We're going to talk about the future of West Ham manager David Moyes. Uh, we're going to talk about the AFCON final, a dramatic final to a to a dramatic uh, tournament. And then we're also going to look forward to the Champions League uh, round of last 16, which is kicking off. Well, as we speak, uh, Real Madrid have just scored. I'm watching it on the iPad. Not yeah. that I would ever let my attention drift from the podcast, Tom. And for our listeners who are not up to date with the uh, the short form, AFCON stands for the African Cup of Nations. It certainly does. Uh, anyway, Tom, let's jump in. Let's talk about um, let's talk about Mr. Moyes. Let's talk about Mr. Moyes because uh, I think he's getting some bad press. I think he's being uh, uh, I don't know. I think he's being harshly treated and harshly spoken about. Uh, I don't know if you'll agree. Um, but he's had he's had some good seasons as West Ham manager. If I want to, if I've got some stats here, I believe uh, West Ham under David Moyes have finished eighth last season whilst winning the Conference League. Um, that was oh, no, the, sorry, the season now. before last. They, yeah. they they finished fourteenth last season whilst winning the Conference League. The season before that, they finished second seventh whilst getting to the Europa League final. The season before that, they finished sixth. And the season before that, uh, which was his first season after Manuel Pellegrini, he they finished 16th. So um, you could I, I don't think on the list of on the list of managers I've got here, nobody has ever finished above sixth. Um, going back to 2004, I've got a list of here, Tom. So just from a statistical point of view, in terms of league places and going into Europe and things like that, from the outside, Tom, it's hard to understand why so many West Ham fans are anti-David Moyes. So for those of us who don't watch West Ham week in, week out, could you give us a little bit of an impression what it's like to be there um, watching, watching the Hammers? Yes, well, West Ham... At the moment, they play a style of football that's been coined, meaning given the name Moise Ball. Now, Moise Ball is very pragmatic, very, uh, you might say, uh, defensive minded. Uh, David Moise isn't uh, worried about keeping possession of the ball. Uh, he is keen to keep the defence well organised and not concede many goals. And the style of attacking play is pretty much counter-attacking football. So it means that uh, if West Ham on a good day, uh, they might have uh, you know seven or eight counter-attacks and they might put 
three of them away. They might score three goals. Uh, on a bad day, they might have four or five counterattacks and score zero goals. Uh, it's not a style of football that the West Ham fans enjoy. Uh, the reason Are is... Are you is talking that... about the famous West Ham way? The famous West Ham way, not particularly. I think the West Ham way is a bit of a myth. Exactly. That's right. That's a bit of a myth. I'm just saying that uh, for the fans who have uh, been going every week and watching this style of football, uh, you watch teams like uh, Bristol City come in the FA Cup and dominate possession. Bournemouth two weeks ago dominate possession. Uh, the fans really they want to see with the, the attacking quality that, that that we have got. They want to see us enjoy the ball and be able to attack in possession of the ball, not just direct counter-attacking football. Uh, the reason for that is that if we don't score the first goal. Uh, it forces us to try and change tactics a little bit and become a, a different kind of ball team. But that fails as well, because this team has been coached to play in only one way. And that way is with a very defensive shape and on the counter attack. OK, fair enough. So it sounds like they're a little bit too well. They haven't got a plan B and they're not ambitious enough in terms of putting on a show. OK, um, now. I, I feel a little bit a little bit harsh on David Moyes in some ways because just in January they sold uh, Ben Rama, who was uh, an exciting winger, sometimes a little bit frustrating, but he had the ability to take a player on. He was quick, he was exciting. Uh, they I think they they loaned out Fornells. They will um, they they will be selling him. He he is yeah. as good as gold. So, you know he's he's another more creative player who's who's not there. Um, obviously, uh, Mikel Antonio, who's the big threat up front, he's he's had a really injury-plagued season. He wasn't even on the bench at the weekend. Paqueta is injured. Um, and so it's hard to see where the goals would be coming from. And if you haven't got the players to play open, expansive football, then maybe the, the best solution is to play defensive football. I'm not saying that David Moyes has or would play a different style of football, but I do think currently with the players you've got available, um, it's a bit, it is maybe seems the most pragmatic way to try and get points. Um, and okay, I, I believe you haven't won in seven games. Mm-hmm. That's so, true. That's not a great run of form, but you are eighth in the Premier League. Um, and I, th- I wonder how much of this is the, the the fashion of football managers, because if anyone was to ask you about Roberto Di Zerbi or, or, or um, who's the Wolves manager? Is it M- uh, McNeil or Gary O'Neill? Gary O'Neill, that's it. Gary O'Neill. You know, he's been, uh, Deserby and O'Neill have been, uh, you know, they've been praised in public. They're playing great football. Well, uh, West Ham are ahead of both of those teams. West Ham are ahead of Chelsea, who've spent £500 million. Uh, In terms of the the squad value, I know you're a a chap who likes uh, transfer market uh, statistics, Tom. Well, I've got some for you. Um, Well, West Ham are the eighth most expensive squad in the Premier League and they're eighth in the table. But going into the stats a little bit more in detail, Tom, uh, West Ham have got a front, have got forwards of a value of £12 million. And that's actually, there's only seven or six or seven teams with, uh, with less value in attacking positions in the Premier League. So, 
when, and going back to the point that they sold some more exciting attack-minded players in January, and do you not think that it could be just the most pragmatic way to approach games when, when you've got this limitation in players? Well, if you're going to blame a limitation of players uh, for the pragmatic approach, then that's not consistent with the football we've watched in previous seasons. It is true our squad is thin at the moment. We've lost our two left wingers in Fornells and Ben Rama. Arguably, Fornells was played out of position. Uh, Pakatar is injured, who's also been playing on the left wing. Uh, if Pakatar's not there, Jared Bowen up front does not work. The problem is, though, Tim, is that Moyes has got talent on the bench. Bench, he's got players like Mubama, uh, he's got uh, Corne, he's got Ings, and the fans are very frustrated that these players are never given enough game time. They might be brought on for 10 minutes here, five minutes there at the end of a match, but they're rarely given enough time to really build a run of form and earn their place in the team, which will build their confidence. And as we know, every attacking player needs confidence uh, and that comes from playing time so there is a frustration with the way that Moyes has been using his substitutes he's not really gone deep into the bench he's not really brought many youngsters through either uh, and to come back to an earlier point that you made really West Ham have been playing this way now for four or five years and you may look at the statistics and think well West Ham are you know, they're doing about right, given the size of the squad, the money they say spend, eighth position is good for them. But actually, West Ham four or five years ago, or under some of the previous managers you mentioned, were a different club. We were a smaller club. We were playing at Upton Park. Uh, it's taken a while for this club to grow to the size it has. But now we're getting between 62, I think, to up to 66,000 fans coming to every home game next season. We are on the map. I do have to thank David Moyes for that European Cup victory. Although I also have to say that it's a bit like playing against third division teams until you get to the semi-final. It's not I would say it's a less prestigious and easier trophy to win than the League Cup or the FA Cup in domestic English football. But anyway, we've won, won that trophy. We've got our name on the map now to attract talented players. We've got Kudusin. We've got Pakitarin. We've got the money to, to spend on more players. And we're wasting them in this formation. These players should be in a team where they can enjoy possession of the ball and they're not getting it under David Moyes. Yeah, I, I guess I understand all the points you, you make and obviously you've got a much uh, closer relationship with the club than I do from the outside. But it does give me a sense of deja vu, which is a French expression to mean you can remember this same moment from the past. Um because this is, of course, the second time David Moyes has been the manager of West Ham. And he was uh, he consolidated after uh, Slaven Bilic had left West Ham. You know, not close to going down, but they weren't in a great position when, when Moyes took over. And he did create some solidity and consistency in performance. But again, he was fired because he wasn't exciting the West Ham fans. And Manuel Pellegrini was brought in back in 2018-19 season. And at the time, it was seen as a big step forward. Um because Malagrini, uh, Pellegrini had been manager of Manchester City, of Real Madrid. He'd been right at the top of the modern game. 
But um, I think it was probably too much too soon for West Ham at that time. Um, but since then, as you've just referred to, I think uh, the, the playing squad has got better. It's got better quality in it. Uh, it's got more famous names. So maybe you could say West Ham jumped the gun back in 2018, which means to, to move too soon uh, by appointing Pellegrini. But maybe now is the time when... Um, when it is the time, uh, the, the chance, the, the right moment to bring in a more established attacking manager or something like that. And if it is, then that's definitely down to the work of David Moyes, because let's face it, Kudus, Paqueta, uh, some of the more kind of international exotic names on your on your team sheet would know, would be nowhere near uh, playing for West Ham if it wasn't for those European Cup runs or the, the Europa League run and and the, the Conference League success. So, uh, Tom, just before we finish on, these, uh, on this topic, we've got three options, really. David Moyes is out of contract at the end of the season. So in one word, tell me, sack now, contract runs out at the end of the season, don't renew or renew the contracts? What do you think, Tom? What are those three options? Would you give him the rest of the season or would you be harsh and give him the boot now? I would give him the rest of the season because I think you can find a better quality manager at the end of the season. Managers who are also nearing the end of their contract, they're not going to say anything about leaving now, but you can probably headhunt a very good manager if you give Moyes to the end of the time. So the second option, Tim. Uh, I okay. actually, just one comment on losing 6-0 to Arsenal. Uh, that could be a blessing in disguise. In fact, if we had lost by even more goals, perhaps a humiliating 10-0 home defeat, which it could easily have been, uh, that might have been even better because, as I understand it, David Moyes was almost ready to sign and commit to a new contract. But now I've heard that the board are holding back. They're not so sure because there was no stronger message than one quarter of that stadium that is about uh, 15,000 Hammers fans leaving at half time, walking away from the football at half time. So yeah, it I was think embarrassing. That's a, pow that's a powerful the message. The Arsenal fans were singing, is this a fire drill? Uh, fire <laughs> drill meaning a simulation evacuation. Uh, Tom, quick question. Are you a real fan if you leave before the end of the match? <laughs> Uh, you know what? Normally, I would have said no in the past, but I do know what a pain in the bottom it is to walk from the up to the new London Stadium to get to the, the tube station at uh, Stratford. And I can sympathise with these fans who didn't want to get caught up in being told to wait at every street crossing by the police. So, no, it's not uh, a problem these days. <laughs> OK, so just for West Ham fans. Just All for right. West Ham uh, fans. Tom, Tom, final question before we move on to the AFCON. Um, is there anything, because I feel like we're in the same situation as we were in last season. Is there anything David Moyes could do between now and the, and the end of the season? For example, uh, win the Europa League or come top five or top six in the Premier League that could change not just your opinion, but maybe the, the majority of West Ham fans' opinion and lead the board to, 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 to offer that contract extension? There's or do you think thing. the playing style is is enough? People are fed up and there's no there's no going back. There's only one thing that could happen. If if Moyes was to get us into Europe again. Now that could only happen realistically by a top seven finish, which I don't think is uh is it's it's feasible, but I think it's very unlikely the way we're playing. Uh 
probably a top six finish realistically or winning the Europa League and uh, the way uh, that some of the other teams, I think, are Liverpool in the Europa League this season. I believe they are, yes. Yeah, we've got no chance against Liverpool. So only those two things, uh, getting into Europe or winning silverware could keep Moyes in the job. OK, Tom, well, time to get your Vuvuzela out, Tom, because we're going to talk AFCON. Um, and from I didn't watch the game, but I, I, I saw the goals and I saw bits and bobs of the tournament. To Bits and bobs is, is little bits, is a way of saying little bits. Um, it was an exciting final from all I hear. Nigeria against Ivory Coast. And uh, Ivory Coast came from behind once again in the tournament uh, to beat Nigeria. This is an Ivory Coast side. I think if you were going to set a blueprint for how to how to win a major international tournament, they must have broken every single recommendation because they lost two goal. Uh, they lost two games in the in the group stage. The first ever team to lose two games in a in a major competition in any 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 international competition and win it. Uh, it's the second biggest home defeat uh, by a, a host nation when they lost four nil second only to Brazil's thumping against Germany in the 2014 World Cup. Um, when they lost, was it 7-1? Um, I think they were behind in all of their knockout matches. Um, unbelievable. And in terms of comeback stories, of course, uh, Sebastian Haller, the ex-West Ham player, scored the winner. And he's got the best comeback story of them all because 18 months ago he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, and he's come back and, he, and he's he scored the winner in a major tournament. Um, they've got the new manager, Emmers uh, Faye. Um, who's never managed before at any level, an ex-Reading player, stepped up after Jean-Louis Gasset, the 70-year-old Frenchman, was sacked. And to be honest, Tom, this is where I want to start, because it seems to me this this um, the period of having a kind of journeyman, continental uh, European manager who would go down to an African team and manage them and try and kind of, I don't know, uh, use the reputation that comes with the experience of English, uh, of European football and the knowledge. It seems that those days are over and African teams are really thriving from having, from having local African managers. And I think that's brilliant for the game. And I think uh, that's that kind of thing, which will lead to uh, to Africa eventually or quite soon winning a World Cup or at least competing. Um, so, Tom, what did you make of the chaos? <laughs> the chaos of the Ivory Coast, yeah, the Ivory the Ivory Coast. Coast run. Yes. Well, it was an absolute miracle that they, they got through losing two games, including that very humiliating 4-0 home defeat uh, to Mali in the group stages. I believe that Morocco did them in a favour in the, the final round of the group stages. They beat Zambia and that prevented Zambia from taking uh, the third place uh, finish, which that the Ivory Coast got in the end. Uh, in terms of sacking the manager, yes, why not? It's a roll of the dice, but they were desperate at that time. And you can see why, because when you look at this final team, actually, there was there's so many great players in that Ivory Coast team. It was clear that they were underperforming under the other manager. Uh, it's hard for me to speak of the general chaos in this tournament. Tournament going, you could you could say that, you know, it's chaotic to go behind consistently in, in knockout football games. Or you can look at the other side and say, how resilient is this team? Every time they went behind, 
they came back, whether that was down to, partly down to the players, and I'm sure the, the incredible home support gave those players an extra extra 10%. They acted as the 12th man on the field, as we say. Yeah, and just to confirm the point of these journeyman uh, European managers, Nigeria, of course, are headed up by just one of those, a journeyman European manager in the shape of Jose Peseiro, uh, Portuguese, who Jose Mourinho describes as his best friend in football. And uh, according to the performance, you can see why. You know, they have a very pragmatic approach. Uh, once they were 1-0 up, um, they didn't really go for the second. And then when Ivory Coast started getting back into the game, they didn't really look capable of, of change. A bit like what West Ham uh, suffering, uh, of changing the momentum of the game, of trying to get some attacking impetus. Um, but Tom, which players stood out for you? I, th I think the, the midfield three are very dangerous. They've got, um, who have they got? They've got Jean-Michel uh, Jean Serri, Frank Kessier, who put in some great passes in the final. Did he score in the final? He did. He scored the equalising goal from uh, across. Yes. He was at the back post and he, he planted his header down. It bounced up past the keeper inside the, the far post. It was a good finish. And also Seco Fofana. Uh, Seco Fofana, some, some, yeah, I think, and that was part of the problem under the previous manager. He dropped uh, some, he'd, he'd interrupted that midfield three, which has been so good for, for Ivory Coast. Um, any other standout players, Tom? Uh, Adringa, Adringa, I believe, had a good tournament. Yes, absolutely. Actually, thinking about this question, when it came to the final, Ivory Coast totally outplayed Nigeria. This Nigeria team is full of attacking quality, many Premier League players in there as well. Uh, but man for man, in most positions, they were second best, second best in the way they played football, in the speed that they attacked. It was noticeable how much more fluid the Ivory Coast were in attack. Uh, so really, I have to give credit to what you might say, the spine of the team from the two centre-backs. Uh, one of them came from uh, Bayer Leverkusen, Kusunu, uh, but Ndika alongside of him, they were both so strong uh, throughout the match. Kusunu had a fantastic shot in the second half that the goalkeeper made an excellent save, a long distance shot. And then ahead of them, you mentioned John John Michael Seri. He had an outstanding game, actually. He was all over the place in midfield. Kessie, every time the camera was on Kessie, uh, you, you saw the determination of a man who just was never going to lose. See, they would have to kill him for him to lose that match. You could see it in his face. Uh, and also up front, yes, Haller got the goal, even though he was fairly quiet for a lot of the game. Uh, when it came, when it mattered, uh, he really stepped up. And shortly before he scored, uh, he had a spectacular overhead kick, which he just missed. It was spectacular because it wasn't uh, one of those ones where the ball is directly above you. He was also spinning at an angle as well. So he had to sort of catch it almost like a Kung Fu sideways overhead kick. It just missed. But then he got his moment, his chance only a few minutes later. You mentioned the man, Adingra. There was a very interesting battle, a Premier League battle between Adingra on the left wing for the Ivory Coast and Aina, who was playing as wing back for Nigeria. Aina is the, the regular left back at Nottingham Forest. And it was fairly even 
early on, but as the second half continued, Adingra became more and more dangerous, and you could just see that he had a little bit of extra energy, a bit of momentum, and he used it at one point to one point to run at Aina, get past him on the outside. He whipped across in a very very fast cross. Haller was there, sticking out a boot, and. It might look a bit lucky, but actually the connection was perfect. He caught it on the sole of his boot at the toe, and he got just enough pace on the ball, enough of a, an angle on it to send it inside the far post and score a goal. A very, very difficult fish finish because the cross came across so fast. So obviously those two made a difference at that moment. But uh, I have to say that the whole Ivory Coast team just seemed to have a bit more energy, a bit more fight. Uh, in contrast, the Nigeria team, Osimhen, Victor Osimhen was lost up front for them. He was working hard and fighting and climbing, but he was in the back pocket of the defenders. By in the back pocket, I mean they had him under control. Likewise, Iwobi, of uh, Fulham had a fantastic season on Yekker of Brentford. They were the central midfield partnership for Nigeria, but Nigeria just couldn't get the, uh, the momentum in their attacks. They, they kept on slowing the ball down. And when you slow the ball down, you give Ivory Coast a chance to organize, get into position. So tactically Nigeria were second best. And in terms of effort and determination, they were also second best. Well, it sounds like deserved winners, though, then, Tom. And just in terms of the story, it's the kind of thing that I really like to see. Ivory Coast is a country that uh, only 13 years ago was uh, was at war with itself, a vicious civil war. Um, they've played their matches all across the country. Uh, they played in uh, Yamusurkro. Um, and then, uh, sorry about my pronunciation, all Ivorians. And then they played their, their quarterfinal match in Bukake, uh, Bu Buake. Um, which is apparently the the old rebel-held capital. Um, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a tournament that's brought the country together. I noticed the president was uh, was there getting in on the photo opportunities uh, when the cup was being lifted. Um, so he'll be looking forward to the following elections. Um, but, Tom, it's always nice to see countries united. And we say keep politics out of sport but i do think the sport has a has a power to unite in a way that very few things do and that's always nice to see well the president and the the, the government certainly took a gamble with a huge investment in stadium infrastructure for this tournament i don't know the exact number of new stadiums but i do know that they were very very impressive huge stadiums uh and it paid off uh they they looked fantastic the quality of the previously African Cup of Nations, you might think, oh, the pitch looks a bit dodgy. Dodgy means that, you know, it looks a bit rough, a bit uneven. Or maybe the camera work, the, the floodlights, there might be details that you notice are inferior in quality. But I have to say that technologically uh, and in terms of the infrastructure, everything was first class at this tournament. Well, that's that's lovely to hear. Tom, let's move on to the Champions League. Um, we're just going to move through this quite quickly, especially focusing on the games where we think there might be a surprise. Uh, we'll start basically in the order of fixtures that they're coming. Uh, Copenhagen, Manchester City, Tom. Uh, City already 2-1 up on the night. I can't see anyone but a Manchester City uh, qualification from that match, from that tie. Do you agree? 
I agree. Yes, Copenhagen had a great uh, group stage to get through, but that was sort of like their miracle. Coming against Manchester City and losing uh, at their home grounds, there's only one winner. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Leipzig, Real Madrid, Tom. Real Madrid already 1-0 up. It's been a very even match. Both teams have been playing very well. Uh, Leipzig had a goal disallowed in the second or third minute, which, uh, to be honest, I think, well... I don't want to know why it was disallowed because I think it, it's one of those goals where you think, hmm, if you look too much into that, you start having dark thoughts about the motivations of the VAR referees. Um, it looked like a quite clean goal for my eyes. But uh, especially with added help, I can't see anyone but a Real Madrid victory here. They've got Vinicius back in the side and playing well after injury. OK, they've lost Bellingham, but I think he'll be back soon enough. Do you agree, Tom? Yes, they've got too much quality. They've got players like Modric sitting on the bench as well. So Real Madrid, will, I think, will finish the job at home at the Bernabeu. Now, then we get to tomorrow. I think it's going to be a much more interesting evening of Champions League football. We've got Lazio against Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich, of course, uh, having been given, was it 4-0 they lost against Leverkusen at the weekend? They're now five points off the top in the German league. But Harry Kane is having an amazing season. Uh, Lazio, uh, you know they're going to compete. You know they're going to play intelligent football. And it's a, the, the Stadio Olimpico in Rome is a ferocious atmosphere. I think this could be tight, Tom. But I do think Bayern Munich will have too much for Lazio. Do you agree? Yes, ultimately. Even though Bayern Munich have lost against Bayer Leverkusen at the weekend, uh, I think the, the pedigree of this Bayern Munich club should see them through, uh, particularly at home. They, they, it may not be, they, they may only get a draw in, in the Roma Stadium, but when they get back to uh, Munich, I, I think Bayern will progress. Then another interesting match, Paris Saint-Germain against Real Sociedad. On paper, this should be a walkover for Paris Saint-Germain. On paper means theoretically, and a walkover means something easy. However, I don't think it's going to be like that. This Real Sociedad side are very well organised. They move the ball very, really well. They've got some dangerous players in Kubo, Marino, Zubimendi at the heart of midfield is a real quality young defensive midfielder. Uh, they've got the, the enigma up front that all our Almeria fans will know in Umar Sadiq. Uh, and they've got some quality defenders as well. Norman starts for Spain re reasonably regularly. Um, Mbappe's been injured. But the big question I always have of Paris Saint-Germain at this level is, are they ready to step up in terms of intensity after playing in the semi-retirement league and, um, when you're coming up against teams who will fight tooth and nail and have the quality to back it up as well? I think Paris Saint-Germain probably, especially with Mbappe coming back from injuries, had an ankle injury recently Recently. Uh, I think Paris Saint-Germain will be too strong, but I think this will be tight. I think this will be tighter than most people think. If I was looking for an upset in the last 16 games, then this for me would be the upset, meaning the underdog Real Sociedad will win. Whether that happens or not depends on Paris Saint-Germain. Which team will show up? Will they play at full strength? We've seen some shaky, nervous performances from Paris Saint-Germain this season. One that sticks to mind is uh, the two games against Newcastle United in the group stage. So if Paris Saint-Germain are back in form and in rhythm, then they should win. But actually, Tim, they've been so inconsistent in the Champions League. I'm going to say that Real Sociedad will sneak this one. They're going to knock them out. 
Well, I, Tom, I do hope you're right, because I'm not a big fan of Paris Saint-Germain. And then the game I think I'm most looking forward to next week, next Tuesday, is Inter against Atletico Madrid. Uh, I recently watched Atletico Madrid in the Spanish Super Cup and the, and the um, Copa del Rey. Um, although they're having not having a great season in the league, they're still able to put on a classic Simeone performance, an intense performance where they fight tooth and nail for every ball. To fight tooth and nail means to fight with all of your, your heart and uh, risking it all um and again inter you know we're talking about last season's finalists not let's not forget um they've got quality throughout the throughout the uh the team lautura martinez is having another good season um they've also got quality in midfield i'm a big fan of of, of the player whose name i've never been able to pronounce the turkish uh, guy yeah cal <laughs> hanoglu Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, don't hate me turkey um, but yeah I'm, I've always loved him um, and they've got Barella as well uh, Mikatarian, he's not retired yet unbelievably but I do have quite a, a few questions of them at the back um, and I think I think they overperformed last season I don't think they were better than Napoli in the in the semi-final and you could argue they were lucky that AC Milan had injuries when they played each other as well in the was it the quarterfinals um, so Tom who do you think Think's going to come out on top here. I'm backing uh, Atletico Madrid. Oh wow! Uh, this is the the big tie of the last sixteen games. I think these two teams could easily be meeting each other in the semi final. They're they're perhaps a little bit unlucky in the draw to be drawing against each other. Uh, it's a very close one to call. I'm narrowly, by the finest of margins, backing into Milan, uh, just simply because they've been to the final last season. So they've got that experience of losing and that can often push a team on to, uh, you know, want to make up for what they missed out on the previous season. OK. And then another tight one, Tom. We've got PSV, who are sitting at the top of the Dutch Eredivisie, unbeaten uh, under manager Peter Bos. Um, and they're looking very good, but they, they do rely on the veteran Luke de Jong uh, for goals. And I, although Dortmund have lost, of course, big names in the shape of Bellingham and uh, a season ago before that, Haaland, uh, Dort uh, Dortmund are a, a good uh, European side. You'd think uh, they'd find a way to be too strong for the Dutch team. Uh, do, you, do you back Dortmund here, Tom? I back Dortmund based on the strength of their squad. I, I like their bench. Their bench goes deep, meaning that uh, the manager has a huge range of attacking options that he can bring on to hurt an opponent in the later stages of a game, particularly if it goes to extra time. So uh, even though PSV have having a very good domestic season, I think the quality of Borussia Dortmund will shine through and they'll progress. Uh, what about Porto Arsenal, Tom? Can you see Porto causing Arsenal any problems or do you think Arsenal will be too strong at this stage? I would love to tell you Porto. I, I used to live in Porto briefly and, uh, you know, just to go against you being an Arsenal fan. But actually, Tim, your boys are coming into a bit of form now, I think. And I think that form will continue into Europe. So uh, it might not be easy at the Estadio de Dragao, but I think when you come back to the Emirates Stadium, you will have enough goals to, to get past Porto. So Arsenal. 
Yeah, I think I agree. Tom, we've only got literally two minutes left, uh, but another exciting game, Napoli against Barcelona, two clubs that are connected by Diego Maradona, of course, um, and two clubs that are also connected by the fact that they're having a pretty ordinary domestic league season. Um, Napoli are well off the pace in Serie A after winning it uh, at a canter, which means without running their fastest last season. Um, and Barcelona, well, they've just... Uh, Xavi has just announced his resignation. I think they're 12 points off the top in La Liga. Um, I'm going to say that Napoli uh, are going to be too good uh, for this one. I went to Napoli-Real Madrid, you'll remember. And on their day, I still think Napoli are able to find that high-quality performance. And I worry about this Barcelona side's defence. And I also think that uh, if you can stop Lewandowski um, with uh, with some tight defending, stop him getting the space he needs. And I don't really see where their other goals are coming from. Uh, so, Tom, Napoli or Barcelona? I'm going to go with Napoli as well. I think that uh, their squad, the age of the players is better. They've got the right level of experience, but they're not too old. I feel the Barcelona have a mix of either too old or too young. A lot of talent, obviously, two very evenly matched teams on paper. But I think the experience of Napoli will carry them through. Yeah, I also think with this Napoli side, you're looking at kind of in some ways the end because we all know that uh, Osiman's going to go in the summer. Kavaratshvelia's probably going to go in the summer. Um, so I, I, it could be almost like the last dance for them and that's why they might be able to find that extra motivation. Um, and also they, they've re-established themselves under, is it Matsari um, after, was it Rudy Garcia was sacked earlier in the season? So Matsari is a manager that represents the club and the city very well. So I imagine he'll get the boys fired up for this one. Um, Tom, that's all we've got time for on the Learn English Football podcast. Um, thank you very much for your, your attention and for, your, for, for everything. And a big thanks to all of our listeners. Um, if they could do us a favour and, and share the love, ask their friends, do you speak football? And whatever they answer, send them a link to, our what's, uh, to their WhatsApp of our podcast. That would be fantastic. Uh, Tom, uh, see you next time. See you next time. Yes. Oh, what does that spell? <laughs> See you next time. Okay. <laughs> Good night. Bye, Tom. Bye-bye.